Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Road Coach Podcast, the show where I share what I've learned through years of living on the road through research and experimentation um, to optimize your health and well-being, so that if you're like me, and you travel a lot for work or pleasure, um, that you can hopefully not only survive, but thrive, even when you're out of your element. Today is a special episode as it marks my 21st episode of the Road Coach Podcast, which I believe, uh, if stats are correct, that that uh, puts me in the top 1% of podcast producers in terms of content available. So, big day. Um, And with this, uh, I am also starting what I would like to do as a four-part series on chaos versus routine um, and the the downsides and the benefits of traveling constantly. Um, So being in chaos versus being in routine and and what that does to us physiologically, psychologically, mentally, emotionally, um, and how we can help um, combat some of the downsides that come with constant travel um, and get the most out of it. So... Uh, with that, if you're listening on your favorite podcasting app, uh, the best way you can help share the show is, uh, is send it to your friends if you like what you hear here, uh, or check us out on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the road coach podcast. Uh, also, we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash the road coach podcast, if you would like to help contribute to the show and help me continue to produce these. Um, so right now we're between Christmas and New Year's. Um, And I wanted to bring you this episode as the first in our four-part series. So this one will be on chaos uh, and uncertainty, um, something that we all experience when we travel a lot, um, whether it be, you know, uncertainty with the, you know, the city that we're going to or the airports or the taxis or Ubers or uh, the food we might be encountering or flight delays, or hotel cancellations, or bad weather, or all those kinds of things. Um, I'm in Canada, and uh, the weather this time of year can get pretty scary at different areas in the country, um, and can change your plans a lot. Um, But even if your travel plans do go exactly as you anticipated, there's still a lot of uncertainty when it comes to travel in general. We're constantly out of our element, um, and that does a lot of things to us that I don't think we appreciate necessarily all of the time, uh, until it gets to the point where it can be debilitating or it can be um, um, or it can be really draining to the point where we need a break, right? Um, so if you're like me and you have a travel job, um, whatever that may be, whether you're in sales or marketing or, or you're in a public relations field or, um, you know, traveling to speaking gigs or anything like that, I, I hope that you find this helpful. So this first episode is about the downsides of chaos and uncertainty. Um, and I'll try not to be all doom and gloom, um, but if, uh, if you want to hear sort of the counterpoint to this episode, then subscribe uh, on your favorite podcasting app or onto our YouTube channel and listen to the following episodes, um, next three of them, which uh, two of will, which will be out next Tuesday and Friday, and the following Tuesday will be the fourth and final episode in this series. So I'm going to start with an article that was... Um, released in 2019 in the journal Frontiers in Psychology. Uh, It talks about the relationship between uncertainty and effect. And um, when we talk about effect, it is um, essentially what happens to us when uh, when, when there is uncertainty in our life. So I I just highlighted a couple things so that you can follow along if you're watching on YouTube. This article, um, they suggest that people have a a propensity to simulate negative outcomes, which result in a propensity toward negative effective responses to uncertainty. Let me talk about why that is. So 
all things being equal, um, when we have uncertainty in our lives, we tend to not only overemphasize and overestimate the negativity associated with the potential outcome, um, but even if the outcome is positive and or we are positively anticipating something of uncertainty, we tend to focus more on the negative aspects of it. Um, and we'll get into more about that. Um, so in the introduction, um, they state, the, the authors state that people typically find uncertainty, uncertainty to be aversive um, and are willing to pay to reduce uncertainty. Those are two other studies that were done. Um, the second one of which uh, involves Daniel Kahneman, who's one of the preeminent psychologists, behavioral psychologists, I think on the planet today. Um, and in some certain circumstances, sorry, people seem to find uncertainty attractive and they seek out uncertainty, including act inducing activities such as reading mystery novels, watching sports or gambling, of course. Um, and in those instances where we seek out uncertainty, um, if we reduce the uncertainty of those activities, it actually reduces enjoyment. So for example, if you're going to watch your favorite team play a game um, and you know it's gonna be an absolute blowout, um, it actually reduces your enjoyment. Um, whereas if it's going to be a well-matched team um, for your team and the game will be close and you're not sure of the outcome, it actually improves people's enjoyment of that. So uncertainty is kind of a double-edged sword depending on why you're seeking it uh, why you're in that situation, and what you expect to get from it. Um, and travel is one of those things where you expect the uncertainty um, for certain things, but not for others. And if you enjoy travel for work, which if you do a job like I do, you probably do, um, there, there are reasons you do it. And the uncertainty and the constantly changing environment is part of why you do it. You get to explore new things, you get to see new parts of the world, um, and you are, I would assume you are typically someone who thrives in changing environments. Um, and the monotony of routine is not something that appeals to you in general day-to-day -day life. But that doesn't mean it doesn't pose problems for us. So uh, going down a little bit further, um, just to set some definitions, um, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines uncertainty as the state of being uncertain, meaning indefinite, indeterminate, not certain to occur, problematical, not reliable, untrustworthy, not known beyond doubt, dubious, doubtful, not clearly identified or defined, not constant, variable, and fitful. But importantly, uncertainty is not equivalent to mere ignorance. Uncertainty is the conscious awareness or subjective experience of ignorance. So it's not simply not knowing something, but it's being aware that you're not going to know something or you're going to a situation where you're not going to know a certain aspect of the outcome. Um, and then moving on from there, the first source of uncertainty, probability or risk, um, arises from randomness or indeterminacy of the future. A second source, ambiguity, arises from limitations in the reliability um, or um, adequacy of the probability information. Then the final source of uncertainty is called complexity, and it arises from features of available information that make it difficult to comprehend, such as multiple possible causes or outcomes. Um, so um, probability would be, you know, thinking about um, your career trajectory or when you're going to be able to retire, for example, uncertainty around that. Um, amb amb ambiguity, holy, uh, ambiguity, um, limitations in the reliability um, or adequacy of the probability 
information. So ambiguity could be um, something to do with, um, let's say the results of a clinical trial might not prove exactly what you expected it to prove, or it could prove multiple things um, at the same time, and you're not sure what the real cause of it is. And then complexity is, of course, the, the um, something along the lines of, let's say, COVID. You know, some people have a very strong opinion about how COVID happened um, and the players behind it and whether or not it was a, um, a random event uh, or an accident or whether it was a pre-planned thing. Um, but unfortunately, something as complex as a global pandemic um, cannot just have one individual cause or one individual motive. And so that is another source of uncertainty in people's lives or similar situations like that. Um, and then when we're going down a little bit further here, um, I just highlighted a thing here, appraised uncertainty of a situation. Um, so the way you judge uncertainty, it's fundamentally linked to the experience of different emotions. For example, the emotion sadness might be associated with certainty about a negative outcome, but sadness could also be associated with uncertainty about an ambiguous outcome or even a positive outcome. So uncertainty essentially is linked to our emotional system. Um, and the fact that there is uncertainty in our lives plays with our emotions. And for those of us who are constantly on the road and constantly living in chaos and uncertainty, we can be an emotional roller coaster at times. Um, and that's, I think that's an important thing to consider, A, if you're in a role like this and you, whether or not you want to continue, or B, if you're thinking about getting into a, a role of some sort that would involve you being away from home consistently for long periods of time, um, it will play with your emotions. And that's something that you really, really have to consider as to whether or not you want to be part of a system like that um, when it becomes your everyday chronic situation. Um, here's an example uh, from a study um, within this study. This, this paper cites a whole bunch of different studies. Um, but uh, uh, this statement here, reading a newspaper story about the tragic death of a young person leads participants to overestimate the probability of future negative events by 74%. So simply priming yourself with a negative story can actually make you feel worse about future events and not a little bit, significantly, 74%. So when you're thinking about uncertainty and travel in general, try to keep the, um, your diet, let's say, not just food related, but everything that you consume, everything you read, everything you look at, everything you listen to, um, try to keep it positive because any negativity you bring into your life will make you naturally tend to see the future as more negative in general. So no need to needlessly stress ourselves out, right? Additionally, fearful people make pessimistic risk assessments and angry people make optimistic risk assessments. I just thought that was an interesting fact um, from a study in 2001. So take that as you might. Maybe it's better to be angry than it is to be fearful. Um, and if you can change that at will, then if you have to choose between the two, maybe being angry about the uncertainty of your travel schedule um, will help you be a little bit more optimistic um, than if you're scared of it. Uh, and then the next thing I want to talk about is the behavioral inhibition system theory. So this theory posits that, that novel stimuli 
unexpected events or conflicts between competing behavioral options can all affect, uh, sorry, all activate this BIS neurological system. Um, this, this behavioral inhibition system is responsible for effectively guiding behavior in these novel or unexpected situations. It provides guidance by suppressing behavior, increasing attention to novel features, and heightening the organism's arousal, which allow the organism to act in an adaptive manner. So, for example, this is probably relatable to a lot of you. You ever been in a foreign city and you notice all kinds of cool things, um, you know, random things about buildings or landscapes or, or different um, places to eat or places to go um, or interesting things on a walk that if you're there with people who are from there, they're like, yeah, no, I've never noticed that or I've never been there or anything. Um, so being in an uncertain situation that heightens your awareness to these things um, and can often be a benefit to those that that don't have that same heightened sense of awareness because they're not uncertain in that environment. Um, it's tightly coupled to anxiety though. They state, we identify anxiety with activity in the behavioral inhibition system. That is, they stipulate that when the BIS activates, the animal or human experiences anxiety. So whether or not you view this as a good thing or a bad thing, anxiety is present in any uncertainty. And there's another model called the psychological entropy. Um, it reflects the amount, of the amount of uncertainty in a system. In general, uncertainty is a critical adaptive advantage for organisms. So managing uncertainty is important. It creates conflicts between competing perceptual and behavioral affordances. Concrete goals and belief structures can reduce the experience of uncertainty by reducing the set of possible perceptions and actions. So that being said, if you have a certain belief about an unanticipatable event, it can change the way you adapt to that. And having goals for a travel trip, for example, can help reduce the amount of anxiety you experience in that uncertain event. Also, the last point here is uncertainty is experienced subjectively as anxiety because uncertainty reflects the inability to perceive the world or know which action to take to evolutionarily fundamental tasks, right? So when you're going somewhere you don't know and you're uncertain of your schedule and you're out of your home element, you don't know how to perceive the world the same way, and you may not know which action to take when you're faced with a decision. All of this causes anxiety. And then there's another theory of personal uncertainty, where it's been described as the aversive feeling that is experienced when one is uncertain about oneself or one's worldviews. Um, after being primed to think about their own personal uncertainty, people became more rigid and closed-minded. So this is not necessarily related to uncertainty in your day-to-day -day life and as it relates to traveling for work specifically, um, but just uncertainty internally about your future and yourself and your own beliefs can cause the same anxiety. So it's sort of a microcosm of the outside reality, um, which is just further proof that, you know, uncertainty is, is bad for your physiological system in general. Um, and then there's also a theory of the unknown you're a fear of the unknown theory. And that proposes that the fear of the unknown is a and possibly the fundamental fear of human beings. The unknown is possibly the fundamental fear of human beings. And of course, if we're living on the road all the time, the unknown is constantly in front of us. And that can create a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety in people, even if we're well adapted to it. Um, in one study, participants were placed in conditions wherein they were uncertain about which of two gifts they would receive. Participants experiencing uncertainty maintained positive effect longer than those who knew which gift they would receive. Surprisingly, participants who were uncertain about which gift they would receive felt pleasant for longer, for a longer period of time than participants who knew they would receive 
both gifts. Interestingly, so when you're anticipating a positive event, uncertainty is good and you have a positive effect from it. But when you are anticipating something good and the result is certain, you don't have a positive effect for as long. So uncertainty can be good, um, despite all the, the downsides that I've put that I've uh, that put in front of you here so far. Um, also, humans constantly think about possible future events, they say here, imagining or mentally stimulating alternative states of reality, such as what it will be like to gossip with friends, confront a coworker, commute home by a new route. This ability to simulate the possible states of reality helps people plan for the future, helps us test out alternative responses and ultimately cope with stressful situations. So if you are someone who is getting burned out by the constant chaos of travel, test out possible scenarios in your head before you go on that next trip. And what are some of the things that could happen? Anticipate the different outcomes that don't expect a certain outcome, but anticipate what the options could be and visualize yourself dealing with them in different ways. And that will actually reduce the amount of stress and anxiety that you experience when you go and actually go on that trip because you've mentally prepared for what could happen. And then we have this bias towards negative simulation that I was talking about at the beginning. So one possibility is that in situations with indeterminacy about whether a given outcome might be positive or negative, more weight is implicitly given to the potential negative outcome. An intentional bias toward the negative, toward prioritizing negative information, has been observed in many domains and may be a fundamental feature of the mind. So probably evolutionarily, if we were uncertain about whether a given event would have a positive or negative outcome, we leaned in our brain naturally towards the negative because it would protect us, right? So um, for example, back in hunter-gatherer days, if there was a sound outside the cave, we're unsure if that was something that we would hunt or something that would hunt us necessarily. So our mind automatically goes to the negative because it would save our lives to avoid it in that situation. And so a lot of these adaptive processes come from our ancestors um, and it makes sense that we do, but it also helps us understand why we need to prepare better and deal with uncertainty better to prevent ourselves from feeling this chronic anxiety and stress. Now I'm going to move on to another study, again, from Frontiers in, Psycho in uh, Psychology. Um, and this, uh, when was this study from? Uh, does it say 2011. Um, so this one, they talk about the perception and estimation of uncertainty playing a key role in monitoring process and, and the evaluation of the need for control and the interactions between uncertainty and cognitive control might play a significant role in several affective disorders. Uncertainty is considered a key dimension of everyday behavior that has a significant influence on decision-making, important links with emotion and psychopathological disorders. So we're not going to go too much into psychopathological disorders because um, for the purposes of this podcast, we're going to assume that most most uh, listeners do not have a psychopathological disorder if they are traveling for work. Um, however, that may be the case. So I will touch on a little bit. Here's an example for you. Experienced car drivers utilize a number of overtrained automatic schemata on a daily basis. How to negotiate roundabouts, crossroads, how to operate the gearbox transmission. If a U.S. or continental European driver has to drive in a right-hand drive country like UK or Australia, then these automatic schemata are no longer adapted and a series of conscious, attention-demanding processes have to be implemented on a sustained basis. The driver will have to actively inhibit previously learned automatic behaviors and might have to consistently maintain the new traffic rules that have to be followed 
in their working memory rather than in their long-term memory. So essentially, when we get into these situations where, we're, where the outcome is unknown and we're in a place we don't know and everything is uncertain, it heightens our cognitive awareness. So as we talked about noticing things that you wouldn't normally notice in your small, in your hometown, um, you also have to operate at a much more um, uh, sustained level of observation and paying attention in everything you do. And that can create a major cognitive load that just absolutely drains you. And it can create a lot of stress, of course, as we have talked about. I'm just going to go down a little further here for us. So um, the point of this is obviously that if you are constantly putting yourself in situations whereby you are increasing your cognitive load um, and you're requiring your brain to essentially relearn everything or pay more attention to everything all the time and you don't have those routine situations where your automatic system can your um, can um, take over you're going to get very drained very quickly um, so i skipped a lot of the the actual brain functioning stuff just because i don't think it's important for this episode in general um, i think you get the point um, but here with uncertainty um, and monitoring, the field of complex dynamic control tasks are tasks often enacting realistic scenarios with frequent applications in ergonomics and human factors like flight, driving simulators, virtual markets, problem solving, da, 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 da. Um, These evidence from these tasks suggests that uncertainty is associated to an increase in the frequency of monitoring behaviors and in the amount of attention allocated to the monitoring of decision outcomes. So paying attention, essentially. We have to pay a lot more attention. Uh, when we're doing these tasks, um, there might be an upper limit to the amount of uncertainty that can be handled by this system. Um, Sartre et al., which is another group that did a study, they measured behavioral and eye tracking data from pilots on a one hour flight simulation under extremely challenging events where participants experienced expected and unexpected changes in automation modes. In these highly uncertain environments, participants' fixation rates on unexpected changes were low and completely failed to monitor these changes 43% of the time in comparison to a failure rate of 29% in expected automation changes. So we fail almost twice as much in noticing subtle changes that matter when our environments become too uncertain. So initially, we our, our monitoring system um, and our brain get hyperactive and notice every little difference, but at a certain point, if it's too uncertain, we fail at everything and we miss absolutely everything um, that gets put in front of us. Whether that's good or bad depends on the situation, of course, um, but it's something to keep in mind when you're constantly bombarding yourself with unfamiliar environments. Interestingly, it's now becoming apparent that psychiatric disorders can also be linked with deficits in coping with uncertainty. Um, so various anxiety disorders, um, it's been generated, um, or it's been demonstrated a general anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, schizophrenia, and eating disorders. So all of those things might have a link to the fact that we are just overstimulated with uncertainty uh, and we can't deal with that uh, properly and we develop disorders essentially from it. I'm not going to go into any more detail on that specifically, but um, and now we'll get into the conclusion here. So in particular, um, it appears that highly uncertain environments tend to increase the recruitment of monitoring processes, the, the ability to view your situation in a high level of awareness. In addition, studies on the ERN and the FRN, which are systems within the brain that are um, associated with negativity 
and uncertainty in the brain, um, suggests that systems devoted to processing the balance of decision outcomes are hyperactivated during uncertainty. Correct and incorrect decisions are more difficult to discriminate in such um, contexts. So a lot of information there, but essentially we now know what um, uncertainty does to us cognitively. Um, and we know there's a limit to that before we start making serious mistakes and, and um, experience a high degree of anxiety. And then that anxiety, when it happens over and over and over again, if you're traveling every single week for nights on end to different places over and over, it becomes chronic and you're chronically stressed and you're chronically anxious. And that can cause a lot of different health problems. So in this one, in this article, I'm just going to skip the abstract here and get into the introduction, but there's three different types of stress. Good stress re refers to the experience of rising to the challenge, taking a risk and feeling rewarded by an often positive outcome. Um, a related term to it is eustress, uh, which is EU stress. Um, good self-esteem and good impulse control and decision-making capability. They're all functions of a healthy architecture of the brain. They're all important. Um, even adverse events can be growth experiences. Tolerable stress refuse, refers sorry, to those situations where bad things happen, but the individual with a healthy brain architecture is able to cope, often with the support of family, friends, and other individuals. Um, distress refers to the uncomfortable feeling related to the nature of the stressor and the degree to which the individual feels a lack of ability to influence and control it. But finally, toxic stress refers to the situation in which bad things happen to an individual who has limited support and who may also have a brain architecture that reflects effects of adverse early life events that have impaired the development of good impulse control and judgment on adequate self-esteem. So these are just definitions of three different types of stress, good, tolerable, and toxic. And what are we talking about here when it comes to travel and the cognitive load that we experience? So first of all, all organs promote adaptation via allostasis. So it's achieving stability via activation of specific systems. So we're talking about, um, you can see here, sympathetic parasy parasympathetic symptoms, or systems, sorry, hypothalamic pituitary, adrenal axis, the immune system, metabolic hormones, um, the brain. Um, and they can also promote pathophysiology when overused or when their activity is out of balance with each other. And that's called an allostatic load or an allostatic overload. So a good example of the actions of stress, protection versus damages in the immune system, in which an acute stressor activates an acquired immune response via mediation by catecholamines and sorry, glucocorticoids, you don't need to know that essentially for the purposes of this, um, and locally produced immune mediators, and yet a chronic exposure to the same stressor over several weeks has the opposite effect and results in immune suppression. So how many of you have ever been traveling on a big work trip and you're gone for two, three weeks at a time? And you're fine the entire time. And then as soon as you get home into your regular environment, you get sick. This is a result of the chronic stress of uncertainty acting negatively on your immune system because it just couldn't take it anymore. Small doses, it has a positive effect. But chronic long periods, it has the opposite. Um, we have uh, the terminology for stress that I talked about. It ignores health damaging versus health promoting behaviors that people adopt in a stressful lifestyle as well as factors like circadian disruption, different time zones, not sleeping properly, uh, having different sleep-wake patterns based on the light in different time zones. Loneliness, we're all lonely when we travel, even if we've got lots of people around us and we're not at home in our home environment and everybody is a stranger or an acquaintance at best. Noise, travel includes a lot of noise, sometimes hotel rooms on the highway, you know, airplanes, airports, a lot of people. Pollution, ditto 
lack of green space again and crowding. These are literally the defining features of constant travel. Indeed, the most common stressors are the ones that operate chronically, often at a low level, and that cause us to behave in certain ways. So in all of this, our brains play a central role. Brain is a biological organ that changes in its architecture and its molecular profile and its neurochemistry under acute and chronic stress and directs many systems of the body, metabolic, cardiovascular, um, immune system that are involved in the short and long-term consequences of being stressed out and the consequent health damaging behaviors. Normal brain aging also involves potentially reversible loss of resilience. So just as we get older, we're gonna have less resilience to these stressors which, for example, can be counteracted by regular physical activity, which, I mean, you've, if you've listened to this podcast for any period of time, you've heard me talk about the importance of exercise, um, especially when it comes to managing stress on, in travel. Um, also, it states here that an unregulated overflow of glutamate appears to play a role in depressive-like behavior in animal models. Um, chronic stress causes dendritic shrinkage, so your dendrites, the communication uh, fingers of your brain cells, um, it shrinks them, chronic stress. And then unregulated glutamate overflow is also implicated in aging and dementia. So um, if you're chronically stressed, you, have an o you will naturally produce an overflow of glutamate, which will prematurely age you and potentially cause dementia later in life. So all things we really, really want to avoid. To avoid. Sorry. Um, so next up, Different alleles, which are the ends of your genes, commonly occurring genes determine how individuals will respond to experiences. For example, the short form of the serotonin transporter is associated with a number of conditions such as alcoholism, and individuals who have this allele are more vulnerable to respond to such, sorry, to stressful experiences by developing depressive illness. So if you have an addictive personality, it's very possible that you have a genetic predisposition to developing depression, especially if you experience constant stress. So keep that in mind. We need to figure out ways to counteract these constant stressors when we're on the road. And we'll talk about that in future episodes. I don't want this to be all doom and gloom, uh, but this is just the first in a four part series um, on how we deal with chaos and how we deal with routine as well uh, when we travel. Um, sex differences in the brain. I thought this was very interesting as well. Female rodents don't show the same pattern of neural remodeling after chronic stress as do males. Females and males also differ in the cognitive consequences of repeated stress, with males showing impairment of hippocampal-dependent memory, whereas females do not. So interestingly enough, it seems that through different studies that have been done, um, females don't have as big of a negative effect of chronic stress as males do. Um, and it's, I, I actually wonder if that plays out in the roles... Um, in the dementia rates in elder in, in older adults. Um, if males experience a higher degree of dementia than females, I suspect that is probably true. Um, but I don't know for sure. So if anybody knows, reach out to me. Um, shoot me a message on YouTube or uh, or uh, Instagram at the Road Coach Podcast. Uh, so this leads to the concept that men and women often use different strategies to approach and deal with the issues in their daily lives, in part because of the subtle differences in their brain architecture. I think that was it for there. Um, so now, from the standpoint of the individual, this is the conclusion of this article. A major goal, if you want to avoid chronic stress and subvert the negative effects of constant uncertainty in your life, a major goal should be try to improve sleep quality and quantity, improve your social support, 
and promote a positive outlook on life. You should maintain a healthy diet, you should avoid smoking, and you should have regular, moderate physical activity. So, all of these things sound like simple no-brainers. However, these are all things that are very difficult to do when you're constantly on the road. So in future episodes, when we, when we round out this topic over the next three episodes, we're going to talk about how we can implement some of these things. And so that brings us to the end of our first episode on chaos and its realities when traveling. So like I said, we'll work on our, uh, the next couple of episodes about in implementing routine in our travel schedule and help avoiding the chronic stress that is involved with our chaotic schedules when we travel. Um, so this is not all doom and gloom, uh, but hopefully this is a good initial dive into what it's like um, internally for us when we constantly travel um, over time for work. So until next time, if you liked what you heard today, please share our show um, to your friends and family and uh, check us out on YouTube. Give us a like, shoot us some comments, let us know about uh, additional topics you'd like to cover or anything you'd like clarification on. Um, and if you'd like to support the show, head to patreon.com slash the road coach podcast. And until next time, if you're living on the road. I hope you're not only surviving, but thriving, even when you're out of your element. Cheers.